Our sermon text this evening is from the book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. Please hear again the word of God Almighty. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please pray with me. O Father, we seek instruction from your word. We ask, Lord, that you would grant us hearts to believe it, and that by believing it, we would be saved. We ask, O Lord, that you would help us in understanding it. Help us, O Lord, in receiving it. Help us in declaring it. Make these things, Lord, to us real and wholesome and good and useful. Thank you, O God, in Christ's name. Amen. In order to discourage our service to sin... And to encourage our service to God, the Apostle is continuing his contrast of slavery to sin and slavery to God. Here in verses 6, 20, uh, chapter 6, verses 20 through 23, we see a contrast between two kinds of slavery, as it were. He contrasts slavery according to number one, different masters. Number two, different results. And number three, different principles. First of all, then, he contrasts slavery according to different masters. There are two masters of which you must serve one and of whom you can only serve one. The first master he mentions is sin in verse 20. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Notice the way this is stated. When you were slaves of sin, he speaks to them of a past reality. They are now, as you are, Christians. You are not slaves to sin. Remember, you have been set free from sin and you have become slaves of righteousness. Because you have died to sin and been raised with Christ to walk in newness of life, you are now dead to sin. You must consider yourselves dead to sin, and being dead to sin, you are no longer its slave. Now, slavery to sin is, interestingly, freedom from righteousness. You were free when you were a slave to sin. You were free in regard to righteousness. This means that those who are in bondage to sin are not governed by righteousness. Righteous calls out to them, but they cannot obey it. Some of you may be familiar with uh, the song called 16 Tons by Tennessee Ernie Ford. If not, you should listen to it. It's a, it's a good song. But, but in the song, and don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. In the song, he says, you load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me, because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. 
You see, because he belongs to the company's store, he's not in a position to obey St. Peter. Now, you all know it's not actually St. Peter who calls you to heaven, but you get the point, I think. That being in bondage to one master makes you free as it regards another, that freedom is not necessarily a good thing. That is how it is to be a slave to sin. Being a slave to sin means that you cannot obey righteousness. Now, those who are in bondage to sin think of themselves as being free. And they are free from righteousness. But there is a bitter irony about this kind of freedom. Those who are free from righteousness are free from obedience to God. Such that they are, in fact, slaves of the devil. This is what John Calvin called an accursed freedom, and really no freedom at all. Now, there is a second master who is mentioned here, and that master is God. Here in verse 22, we read, But now, being freed from sin, you are slaves of God. Paul has been speaking of slavery to God all along in chapter 6. But he's referred to it under different terms. In verses 14 and 15, he said we are under grace. And then in verse 16, he said we are slaves of obedience. In verse 17, he said we were delivered to the gospel. And in verse 19, he said we are slaves of righteousness. Now here in verse 22, he identifies God as the supreme master. So it's God's grace, God's gospel, obedience to God. Righteousness according to God that we serve. Therefore, in all of these things, being enslaved or serving those things, we are really serving God. God is the alternative master to sin. Now, notice here that just as slavery to sin renders one free from righteousness, being a slave of God implies freedom from sin. But now, in verse 22, it says, being freed from sin... You are slaves of God. There's an antithesis. You cannot belong to both at the same time in the same way. As we saw previously in Romans chapter 6, there are two and only two options. Everyone is a slave, either to sin or to God. And these two options are mutually exclusive. Jesus Christ said, no man can serve two masters. Yet knowing these things, we know this, we understand this, and yet our flesh recoils at the concept of being a slave, even if it's a slave of God. Why is this that we bristle at the thought of being a slave, particularly of being a slave to God? Well, I submit that there are at least two reasons. The two reasons that I can think of are these. Number one we tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We think that for one reason or another, we are better than being worthy of being slaves. We suppose that we are simply too good, too valuable, too bright, whatever it would be, to be someone else's slave, even if that someone else is God. That's how the devil thinks, isn't it? He is so drunk on his pride that he cannot submit himself to his creator. In Milton's Paradise Lost, you know, Satan boasts it better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. Now, of course, that's the lie, isn't it? No one 
reigns in hell. Everyone in hell is a slave, a slave to sin, and eventually a slave to its torments. So to refuse to serve God is then to become a slave to sin, and there is no reigning in hell. Now the second reason that we resist being slaves of God is I think that we fail to really understand who God is. Sin is a hard task master. Sin is cruel. Sin leads us places we don't want to go. Sin is harsh and severe. But that's not God. Is God so severe to us? Is God so unkind to us that he is unworthy of our service? Is it really such a bad thing to be a slave in heaven? Is it really such a bad thing to be a slave in the household of God? Listen to Jesus Christ. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is saying because of who he is, slavery to him is easy and light. Because he is humble, because he is gentle. To be a slave of Jesus Christ is a very good offer. You know, if you ever notice how some of the apostles introduce themselves in their letters, they refer to themselves as slaves of God and slaves of Christ. They were proud of the fact that they were slaves. Why? Because to have a master like God is the greatest dignity and honor that you can have. You are no better than a slave, but you can have no better master than the Lord God himself. Knowing then the goodness of God, we should be pleased to be his servants. And this leads us to our second point. The two different kinds of slavery which the apostles contrasting lead to two different, or they lead to differing results, differing results. Slavery to sin is fruitless, shameful, and leads to death. In verse 21, the apostle asked, what fruit did you have then? Referring to the time of slavery to sin. Take a moment to reflect upon this. Of all the things that sin promises us, What has it really delivered? Think of the last time that you have served sin, and what did you gain? What did you gain? Was there fruit? Was it something of which you can be proud? Was it something of which you could say, I want more of that. God is pleased with this. This is good for me. Or think, if you will, about your former sins. Perhaps, like me, you were converted later in life, and you were a slave to sin for a long time. Think of the things that you did then. Did sin give you what it promised? Did it give you fruit? Or was it, as the apostle says, fruitless? Nothing that could be called fruit in the positive sense has come from sin. It's not as if serving sin doesn't produce something. It has results, mind you. It's just not appropriate to call those results fruit in this sense. It produces shameful things. And Paul calls them things of which you are now ashamed. And we don't need to go into a list of things, but you understand what he is talking about. 
Sin produces in you thoughts and words and behaviors and habits and character of which you as a Christian are now ashamed. Notice the time words in this passage. What fruit did you then have in the things which you are now ashamed? You see, the things done in service of sin are always shameful. But the shamefulness of them is not truly perceived except by those who are free from sin and slaves of God. For the moment, let's call this the grace of shame. Notice it is not the unbeliever in this passage who was ashamed of his sin. Now, both unbelievers and believers alike have shame. It is just that there is a shame which comes by grace that only those who have been freed from sin have. You, dear Christians, have the grace of shame. Now, shame is a painful, unpleasant feeling caused by the recognition of guilt. We are ashamed when we have done wrong. None of us likes to feel shame. But shame for sin does serve for us a very good purpose. Let me read to you from Shorter Catechism 87, speaking of repentance unto life. Repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God, with full purpose of and endeavor afterward to new obedience. Consider the the terms in there, the true sense of sin and grief and hatred of sin. Those are shame. We would describe those as feelings of shame. Consider now the actions that are described in that catechism answer, turning from that sin unto God and endeavoring after new obedience. This is what Paul means by now ashamed. The Christian has shame for his sins, even sometimes former sins, but he turns from those sins to God, seeking God's mercy in Christ, and strives for new obedience going forward. Do you see how even shame, which makes us feel so badly, is used to serve our salvation? So while we dislike shame... We must let that grace of shame accomplish its work in us. Now, there is such a thing as being overly ashamed. There is a use to shame that is proper. We must let shame drive us to the cross, drive us to God, and to inspire us to new obedience. And then we must dwell on it no longer. If you go to the Pittsburgh airport, There is a tram that runs back and forth between the security area and the terminals, and I think they call it the plane train. And if you get on the plane train going one way, you ride it, and you get to the stop, that is your terminal. Interestingly, if you were to not get off of that tram at your stop, it just goes back to where it came from, and then back and forth, back and forth. Well, let's think of the shame train. You ride the shame train until it brings you to Christ. But don't stay on there and let it bring you back to sin. When you get to Christ, you get off the shame train. Don't bounce back and forth, letting shame control your mindset. But rather, let it drive you to Christ 
and then get off of it. So we see that serving sin brings fruitless deeds, shameful deeds, things of which you are now ashamed. And, And I tell you, dear Christians, there are times when I... It comes to my recollection some heinous sin that I committed in the past. Let me tell you something. There is no statute of limitations on repentance. No statute of limitations. If you are alive, you can repent. Sometimes it's only repentance to God. The, The other victims of the sin are not available. Other times they are. But especially you parents, if you think of sins in the rearing of your children, for instance, go to them. Confess your sin to God, let that sin drive you to him, receive his forgiveness, and then go to your children and say to them, my child, I should have done this, I did that, I am sorry, please forgive me. See what God will do with that. See what God will do with that. Or when you think of a sin that perhaps you committed in your youth, something of which you are particularly ashamed of, let that press you on to new obedience. Yes, I did that. That was horrible. God forgives me, and I am going to walk forward being more watchful of that thing. I know that that was something I want to avoid. I don't want to feel that way again. I'm going to avoid that. All right, so not only does sin then produce shameful deeds, but it brings death. Towards the, at the end of verse 21, we read, The end of those things is death. The end here means the final result, right? The final result of serving sin is death. And of course we know that death in this chapter of scripture refers to physical death, temporal death, eternal death, and all of the miseries that come from and are associated with it. James describes this progression from sin to death, doesn't he? He says in James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15, Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed. Then, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. You see, sin necessarily results in death. That is its aim and its design. Slavery to God, on the other hand, produces different results. And they are fruit Unto holiness and eternal life. Verse 22 says, Having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. So, whereas slavery to sin is fruitless, slavery to God produces good fruit. And that fruit leads to holiness. Do you see that? Fruit to holiness. The fruit, of course, refers to righteous deeds such as loving God and our neighbor. It also refers to good qualities such as love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are fruits that come from serving God. And these fruits are, according to Paul, two Holiness, which is to say that they result in the practice of true holiness, the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We call this sanctification. So serving God produces something. It produces in you fruit. That fruit gives rise to holiness, and that holiness ends in eternal life. So whereas the end or final result of slavery is death, 
The end or final result of slavery to God is eternal life. So you have death and eternal life. And by the way, that's how we know he's speaking of eternal death because the contrast to it is eternal life. Verse 22 says, Having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, the final result, everlasting life. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20, we read this. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and your length of days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Romans 6, 20 through 23 says that slavery to sin ends in death, and slavery to God ends in life. Finally, we come to our third point, and we see that there are different principles. So we have had different masters, different results, and different principles. Here in verse 23, we read that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here we see that the two different masters operate on the basis of two different principles. The first principle here is the principle of sin and death. Slavery to sin operates on this principle of wages. Those who serve sin receive the reward that is owed to them. Those who serve sin receive the reward that is owed to them. When you labor in the fields of sin, you can be sure that at the end of the day, when you come to collect your wages, you will get exactly what you deserve. Sin deserves death, and the wages of sin is death. Let me pause right here for a moment. Keep your finger at Romans chapter 6, and just look with me, if you will, at Romans chapter 8. We're going to look for a second at verses 1 and 2 in chapter 8. And the reason why is what we are discovering here helps us understand and interpret chapter 8, and what we read in chapter 8 helps us understand and interpret what we see here in chapter 6. Okay, so chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Okay, what I want you to see here is that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is slavery to God. But the law of sin and death is slavery to sin. And the law that's being described here is this principle. Sin pays according to wages. But those who are in Christ Jesus are delivered from the wage system. All right, back to chapter 6 then. Sin pays, it pays exactly, and it pays according to what is deserved. And what is deserved is nothing less than death. But the second principle is that of grace. 
The end of verse 23 says, But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Slavery to God does not depend upon wages. God, in saving you, does not work on the wage system. He does not pay you according to what you deserve. The reward for service to God is eternal life. It's a reward, but it is not something that you have earned. It comes to you as a gift, a free gift, which is based upon the wages, not of you, but the wages of another. God does not give his slaves what they deserve. In fact, he gave his son what his slaves deserve, and he gives his slaves what his son deserves. Paul says that it's a gift, a gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Matthew Henry captures this very well, commenting on this passage. He said, there is no proportion between the glory of heaven and our obedience. We must thank God and not ourselves if ever we get to heaven. And this gift is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is Christ who purchased it, prepared it, and prepares us for it, and preserves us in it. He is the Alpha and Omega, all and all in our salvation. And that's what the apostle means by the gift of God being eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As we've seen in this entire chapter, everyone is a slave. You cannot escape that reality. But by the grace of God, and I mean that very literally, by God's grace, you can pick whom you will serve. There are different masters, different results, and different principles by which they operate. Your choices are to serve sin or to serve God. Your service will end either in death or in life. If you serve sin, you will die. If you serve God, you will live. You will be rewarded according to your wages, according to what you do, or you will be rewarding according to God's goodness and his grace. My plea with you tonight is for you to serve God, be a slave of God who gives eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, you are the best master. You are a kind and wise and loving and gracious master. Let us devote ourselves to you. Keep us, Lord, in your service and never let us go, please. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.